sound is a tool for wellness and to maintain and achieve well-being. So sleep is like one of the biggest you know areas in our life that we need to address. And so is stress. So from the stress vantage point, uh, what we've done is develop audio technology and brain computer interface technology, BCI, that uses uh, wireless dry sensor EEG electrodes and ECG sensors for heart rate uh, built into a wireless headphone that monitors your stress state in real time, sends that data, the EEG and heart rate data to our mobile app. It's processed in a biosignaling processing platform in the cloud. And then what's feeding back to you is sound that's personalized in real time to respond to your current stress state. And what the machine learning algorithms are doing is learning your patterns and your current state of stress and then giving you audio and visual feedback through a neurofeedback paradigm in order to entrain you to reduce your stress state. Welcome to Fringe FM the podcast that explores the edges of human understanding and looks at the technologies, trends, and societal norms shaping our collective future. Here, the world's top minds share their insights and predictions on the convergence, direction, and ethics of exponential technologies transforming life as we know it. You can learn more and stay up to date at fringe.fm. We've all heard the expression, you are what you eat. But what if, what if you were what you heard? What if the music and ambient noise around you affected you much more than you thought it does? Rocking out to the disco? Can't quite help it. Heart rate pumping? We're about to get into some really exciting science. Today, we've got Alex Damon on the program. Alex is an author, entrepreneur, public speaker, and product creator with 25 years of experience in brain health, neurotechnology, and therapeutic music markets. It's pretty interesting stuff that he's been working on, and we'll dive deep into it. He's one of the top 50 human behavior experts to watch, and one of a third generation in a family of pioneers dedicated to brain performance over the past 75 years. He's founder and CEO of numerous companies focused on optimizing human health, primarily via music as medicine and sleep as functional improvement. He's been interviewed by NBC, CBS, ABC, MSNBC, Marketplace, Wall Street Journal, and many, many more publications. He's given TEDx talks on what he has found, the cognitive science of self-improvement, especially using music to up the game and up the ante, so to speak. He's a blogger, podcaster, and host of the Advanced Brain Podcast. His guests include many New York Times bestsellers, health personalities, and other thought leaders. In today's interesting episode we discuss how music makes your brain smarter or stupider the reason why music is such an important part of what it means to be human why it's easier to enter flow when listening to certain states of music and how you can hack your state of being how neuroscientists and marketers use music to manipulate you and how you can do the same what the future of neurotech and brain machine interfaces looks like why iq is a bad measure of someone's potential in a way to supercharge meditation relieve stress and improve your sleep and before we jump into today's episode i had a quick ask for you guys if if you're listening to this, you like Fringe FM. You believe in what we're doing, trying to disseminate information to the world and make a bigger, better world where everyone is contributing to innovation and creativity. We share the up and coming and transformative technologies, trends, and ideas influencing all of us to ideally build a better world. But we're self-funded. We don't run ads on this program because we want you to be able to trust our word and trust the things that we're talking about as things that we believe in and not just trying to sell you another mattress or another shaving 
razor etc etc to do that though we greatly need your support if you go to patreon.com fringefm you can make a donation to support the work that we do if the work that we do is important for you if you want to see this podcast stick around if the interviews are valuable and adding things to your life we need your help to be able to stick around we've had a decent number of patrons at this point but nowhere near enough to be sustainable right now it's myself personally funding this podcast because i believe this is something important that we need to get out there but to be able to make this sustainable in the long term we need to get up to the point of actually making money to do that we're still a ways off if you go to patreon.com fringefm you can support us there any amount is incredibly helpful anything that you can do if you support us at a level of over five dollars per month we're going to be having a bonus episode coming out weekly that you can access if you can't we'll still have our incredible episodes coming out which if you're here hopefully you enjoy and you tell your friends about because even if you can't afford the five dollars a month the dollar a month even if that would strain you financially just doing your best to help share fringe fm with friends family members etc that's incredibly important whether it's on twitter if you're sharing on facebook if you're writing a review on itunes that's incredibly important itunes dominates the podcast search engines if you can take 20 30 seconds to hop into that relatively clunky but relatively easy if you're using your phone interface and leave a review for us that helps us with ranking in itunes algorithms if you go to fringe.fm itunes you can find us there quickly leave a review if you're in a, your favorite podcasting app you can probably do it from there as well leaving reviews is super important for helping us to get discovered right now with the audience size we have this is not a sustainable podcast this isn't something that we'll be able to continue doing indefinitely because we're not able to support ourselves at this point right now we need to get up to around 50,000 listeners per episode to hit that hit that sustainability mark we're still a ways off from that and could really use your help so if you can share this with friends family members anyone you think it would benefit or post a post a unique tweet on twitter any episodes that you find incredibly interesting i know i found a ton of these episodes interesting and if you haven't i would be a little bit shocked so find your favorite episode tweet it out so that we can get a little bit more exposure and coverage we've got some major guests coming up in the next couple of months which will definitely help us with exposure as well and hopefully be things that you really enjoy and learn a ton from but to be able to continue do this without having to sell our souls to advertising the problem that's gotten us here facebook google everyone's focused on advertising and eyeballs they're focused on attention and clickbait we want to be able to avoid that we have long-form discussions with the creators that are changing the world because there are important topics that they need to share with you with the rest of us we need to understand what's happening where we're headed and how we can ethically control these directions to do that we need to have conversations that aren't sponsored by advertising if you can help us in that that would be incredibly valuable patreon.com fringe and if you're looking for a different way to support us fringe.fm support we also accept cryptocurrency paypal payments you can go via stripe and we can get more creative as well if you wish and if you're a u.s citizen and reporting taxes to the irs fringe fm is a fiscally sponsored by a nonprofit focused on advancing science worldwide which means if you make donations to our efforts to improve the world advance science and build a better planet together you can write those off for taxes and not have to pay uncle sam to learn a little bit more about that go to fringe.fm support and if you have any questions my email is matt at fringe.fm we would greatly appreciate your support thank you for helping us change the world thank you for listening thanks for your time and now i give you alex damon do you meditate I know I do, and we've talked about it a ton on the podcast. The benefits are enormous. We had Ariel Garten on the program a while back, and she founded this company called Muse. They make a neurofeedback, i.e. brain-sensing device that helps meditators, anyone really, learn to control their mind and quiet their thoughts. The science is great, and neurofeedback helps meditators achieve zen-level results in less time. I'm a big fan of meditation, as you guys probably know. 
and Muse is hooking listeners up with 15% off when they use our link. Disruptors.fm slash Muse. That's M-U-S-E. Disruptors.fm slash Muse. If you want to take your meditation and mind to the next level. And now, let's get on with the program. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. So your brain on music, I want to start right there since that seems to be your thing. What's the deal? What's the deal? You know, sound is a part of us. Our auditory system is the first sensory system to develop in utero. We're really connected to our world through sound and vibration and movement. And music is something that resonates very deeply within us. It's something that's uniquely human, allows us to kind of express our emotions and feel our emotions and experience the highest highs and the the lowest lows. Uh, has a very visceral impact on our humanity and just really an important part of our culture and who we are. Is music a drug? Would you would you categorize it as drug-like? You know, I, I think it's interesting. I think attempts have been made to make music like a drug, but I, I, don't, I don't see it that way. Can you change your present state with music? Uh, absolutely. With some form of precision, like drug delivery, you could. And many people see and, and view music as medicine and in the future as something that can replace pharmacological interventions. But I wouldn't go as far as is saying that because uh, if it's a drug, it's regulated and we don't want music regulated at this point. No, we definitely don't because then it just gets more expensive and uh, not quite not quite as much fun. What, right. what is your story? What inspired you to study more or less performance science of music? Uh, family. My family has been in the field of brain sciences for about 75 years. Um, so I'm third generation uh, in the field. My grandfather was a rehabilitation physician, a physiatrist that developed protocols for brain injury rehabilitation in adults and children. And our family has, through various nonprofits and clinics and organizations uh, over the years, going from my grandfather and his brother to my father and his sister uh, and his organization to present day, we've, this is the family business. My interest has uh, always been very deep in music and sound, not as a musician, but as a fan and somebody who deeply appreciates the impact music. So 25 years ago, when I joined my father uh, in his work, I began clinical research on the effects of therapeutic sound protocols. And 25 years later, here we are. So I know for me personally, when I need to jam out on something, I'm turning on one of two things, like a classical music mix. You've got your Beethoven, your Mozart, and that's what I'm using primarily to write. And when I want to focus, I'm finding one of those biornal uh, focus beats, and you can find them anywhere online. Is there some science behind that, or is that just in my head? Is there some science behind what you're intuitively going to? I think we all intuitively understand music and can take the playlist that we have, you know, whether you're using iTunes or something else, and you want to change your state, you know where to go. And if you think about the science, while you may not be thinking about it at a, at a conscious level, subconsciously, you may understand that fast rhythms and tempos are going to charge you up. Slow rhythms and slower tempos are going to lower, you know, cool you out and chill you out. So uh, I think of it in the uh, idea of gears, which I write about in my book, Healing at the Speed of Sound. Kind of first gear is low and slow. We use that for contemplation, for relaxation, for de-stressing and for sleep. So those tend to be slower tempos under 60 beats per minute with very kind of simple musical 
physical structures. Uh, if we want to focus, concentrate, get work done, kind of think about mind work versus physical work, then instrumental music, uh, 60 beats to 90 beats per minute in the Baroque repertoire in particular is very, very effective. And then if we want to amp up 90 beats to 150 beats per minute, that could be high energy Mozart, or that could be just, you know, good high intensity rock and roll. It sounds like you know where to go in your playlist for whatever state you want to achieve. So there's definitely some science to it, um, but it's not complicated science. Have we quantified in terms of performance boost? It can be quantified. You know, there's been quite a bit of research around the, the effects of music for performance. And there's more and more research being done in this area than ever before, particularly around sports performance. You know, so how can listening to music of a certain tempo and rhythmic structure amp up our performance, say, in, in running or in weightlifting or resistance training? So there's more and more being done in that area. You know, we in particular are looking right now at the impact of very specifically designed sound music on sleep state as well as stress states and relaxation uh, is the current focus of our work. So sleep states and stress states or relaxation are two of the most important things that there are. We spend a third of our day sleeping and when we're not stressed, we we're always stressed. So let's dive a little bit deeper into both of those, what we know and how we can improve. Yeah. So uh, well, let's start with sleep. If we think about sleep and stress, these are two things that are you know, part of the human experience. We need to sleep to live and we need to regulate our stress to be healthy and maintain homeostasis. So starting with sleep, the work that we've been doing, we actually have a great team member, Dr. Seth Horowitz, who is a neuroscientist that had done a NASA-funded study looking at how to get astronauts to sleep in space. And his research was looking at the role of the vestibular system in sleep. And could you access that system to induce and to help maintain sleep? And what he discovered through um, his trials was a rhythmic pattern of movement uh, from left to right that could induce a sleep state, which is called Sopite syndrome. And then he theorized that sonically that that could be achieved with very low frequency sound and a very specific rhythmic pattern to induce sleep and developed what we call a neurosensory algorithm for sleep induction. We worked with Seth to take that algorithm, uh, blend that with, and you mentioned binaural beats earlier, with multiband binaural beats to entrain to the sleep state, maintain a sleep state through the sleep cycles, then blended in pink and brown noise to help block out ambient for what we would say transient sounds in the environment that can wake you during sleep, and then composed music very specifically for sleep uh, induction and sleep maintenance. So all combined uh, into a program called Sleep Genius, which is a audio-based protocol that you put on when you go to sleep at night, preferably through something like sleep phones, a sleep safe headphone that you can wear so that you get the full stereo effect of the technology, or it can be played through stereo speakers uh, to a little less degree, but it's highly, highly effective in helping to do two things. Help with sleep onset. And if people have sleep issues, they have two primary sleep issues, getting to sleep or staying to sleep. So the Sopite syndrome technology, the neurosensory algorithms help with that sleep onset. Then the rest of what we're doing in the protocols is primarily focused on sleep maintenance to help you sleep longer and get a higher 
quality of sleep. So that's uh, a, b- a bit around what we're doing with the sleep and music. So you brought up something I want to double click on. You said sleep color. Why not sleep color, sound colors. What exactly is a sound color? Sound color? I, I don't recall using using that phrase. Yeah, I think you said something to the effect of pink sound and blue oh, sound. Oh, oh, oh yeah. So uh, there's white noise, pink noise, brown noise. Uh, and people often think of white noise as anything ambient in the background that creates a filter for the sounds around you. And, you know, that might be the sound of a fan or a white noise machine. Technically, what white noise is, most people don't realize, is it's every frequency of sound, 20 to 20,000 hertz, at equal amplitude, and it's synthetically generated. And what people are often using, uh, pure white noise actually is a stressor on the body. What we're using is pink noise and brown noise, which are softer forms similar to the white noise spectrum. And the the color of that sound is such that it has more contour. Uh, it's more comfortable. It's not as harsh. And what it does is it does help create the sonic barrier for transient sounds that are in your environment. So your brain is habituating or entraining to that sound, the rhythm of that sound in your environment, helping you to block out the distracting noises that might wake you if you're a light sleep uh, light sleeper. Have you guys or has anyone done research into differing amounts of deep sleep, et cetera, sleep states based off of this, just looking at EKGs, we've got the Aura rings, we've got the Fitbits now for quantifying things? So with Sleep Genius, we're primarily looking at qualitative outcomes. So uh, we're having people uh, keep sleep diaries, sleep journals. We're looking at time of sleep onset, uh, number of times waking at night, and sleep duration and overall quality of life in response to the sleep as opposed to uh, doing other trials with it. So sleep is incredibly important. That's that's our regenerative time. That's when you're learning. That's when your brain is clearing out the clog that becomes eventually Alzheimer's and other things. What else, what other areas are you guys focused on? So you're working a lot with the health industry in general. Have you seen big uptake on this? Have you seen other people getting on board? It's huge. I'd say I've been beating this drum for 25 years, Matt, and everyone's showing up to the party now. Uh, now, now you're the overnight uh, success. Yeah, which is awesome. Yeah, the overnight success. Absolutely not. We've been working at this long and hard. As And by we, we've got a, a network of colleagues that we work with internationally through our three organizations. And uh, this is just a, a world-class team very committed to this idea that sound is a tool for wellness and to maintain and achieve well-being. So sleep is like one of the biggest you know, areas in our life that we need to address. And so is stress. So from the stress vantage point, uh, what we've done is develop audio technology and brain-computer interface technology, BCI, that uses uh, wireless drive sensor EEG electrodes and ECG sensors for heart rate uh, built into a wireless headphone that monitors your stress state in real time, sends that data, the EEG and heart rate data, to our mobile app. It's processed in a biosignaling processing platform in the cloud. And then what's feeding back to you is sound that's personalized in real time to respond to your current stress state. And what the machine learning algorithms are doing is learning your patterns and your current state of stress and then giving you audio and visual feedback through a neurofeedback paradigm in order to entrain you to reduce your stress state uh, over time. So currently, We've got working prototypes of this system. This is actually uh, one of the hand-built headsets uh, right here that has come out of our lab that connects to the app and then back to our Leonardo, Leonardo Smart Cloud. And we're currently running some small clinical trials with this and have uh, customers 
because initially this is a service that's going to companies to help uh, lower burnout and lower uh, employee attrition through stress reduction as a service. So that's our big emphasis right now. Stress reduction as a service. It's the new SaaS. So this, uh, this, is, this is perfect for this is perfect for meditation, neural feedback. How do you see how do you see meditation tying in with music? I know oftentimes meditating to music seems to make it easier. Well, you know, meditation's hard and mindful meditation will be an aspect of that vital neuro service. So that will be kind of one pillar of what's available in terms of content. Most people find it hard to learn to meditate, to quiet the mind, to become fully present, to stop that inner chatter, to shut out, you know, the thinking forward and thinking back and just be present in that moment. When we use this service, that's not required. And what's happening is we are in training the brain to relaxation response. We're giving the brain a mirror as feedback to watch itself in real time and to understand how to autocorrect based on the triggers and the feedback that we're giving it. So you can achieve a meditative state much more rapidly by using this technology to augment and enhance the process. So meditation is incredibly powerful. We know we're seeing a lot of research around this and a lot of new products coming to market focused on mindful meditation, including subscriptions, you know, software as a service uh, for meditation for some companies in the space. And it's great. It's a beautiful movement. It's crazy because a lot of people will think of this as the sci-fi future, and yet it's happening now. What's the future of personalized health and quantified self, wearables, et cetera, in the next 10, 20 years? What's it? Uh, uh, that's interesting because this this idea we were talking about 20 years ago, and finally, technology has reached a convergence point, right? So we have ubiquity of mobile devices. So we've got massive compute power on the person, on the person right? So you have this extension of self with you with this supercomputer. We have a vast, vast advancements in sensor technologies and um, knowledge of how to use sensor-based technology and create algorithms to harness the power of that biodata and feedback that biodata in real time. So we're seeing smart clothing, right? And all the way down to smart socks that are monitoring your uh, biorhythms, galvanic skin response, movement, eye tracking, you name it. So I think as we look forward, we are seeing this extension of self through getting real-time feedback on what's happening within us. I think getting the data only isn't that helpful. You know, people get a Fitbit, they get, get a Jawbone, they use it for 90 days, and they tend to discontinue the use unless they understand what to do with the data. So I think what we're seeing now in that quantified self-movement is, yes, here are my metrics. Now here's the information to act on these metrics. And that's what we're going to see over the next 10 to 20 years, uh, especially as AR and VR become more ubiquitous and the technology uh, gets to a level that quality is there and the price point is such that every person can access it. So I think we're going to be seeing a very, very heavy and what I should say mainstream application of quantified self through AR and VR experiences um, in our everyday life. I would say music could be a very manipulative technology if you use it well. But what about a future like this? We have a Fitbit and you see you haven't been moving much. So your smart speakers start to pump up the music a little bit more, get your heart rate going. And you don't know why, but you feel like you have to move. And then you've got, uh, I had something else that goes with that. Or maybe you have cameras in your home that are looking at 
Oh, Matt doesn't look that great today. Let's let's turn on the the playlist and Matt gets Matt all but jumping and happy. Do you think this is stuff that's close term horizon in terms of what you're seeing? It's on our roadmap. So if you're looking at the Internet of Things, Internet of Things and IoT in the smart home, you know, in in the smart home, we have the technology today to get a lot of this information on you. And with integrated speaker systems and things like Alexa and Echo and Sonos wireless systems in the home, there is the ability to begin to modify your environment in response to your biorhythms in real time today. Uh, I don't think the market is quite there yet, but we're seeing steps that are getting us that much closer. And we're going to see more of this technology in our vehicles as well. Does that scare you? Because when you walk into a grocery store, they're playing music to try to get you to buy more. What happens when your Alexa is doing the same? Oh, you remember music, right? This has been going on for a long time. I, I think it's a matter of whether or not we're trying to harness the good or to manipulate somebody for a personal gain. And I think ultimately it has to be about the good and people have to be informed. You know, I don't think these things should happen without consent uh, of, of the user. So I think privacy is very important and permission-based modifications of our environment should exist. You know, if you think about how far you can go with this, we can be monitoring you know, personal biorhythms in real time and we can understand how somebody gets when they're excited to make a purchase. And we can see that state in their body and begin to deliver ads for the stores that they're walking by with you know geolocation to prime them to go in and make a purchase at that moment because they're in that ready state. That technology is there. So it's a matter of you know whether you're doing things for the right or for the wrong. It is, but it seems like most people don't care. And especially with music, most people, they kind of realize that music affects them, but they think music well, affects me. Yeah, that's just like a thing, but it's not actually science. They don't realize it. Yeah. And, and, and it's very powerful. But I think ultimately, if we enjoy that music that we're experiencing, we don't bring more of it. Until you're out of money. You just went, you went and bought that smartphone from Amazon you just didn't need. And suddenly, suddenly you're screwed, right? Basil's got you. Good point. Yeah, we all love the music until the music stops. So I, I have in my notes here to talk about the IQ lie, and I'm curious what that is. The IQ lie. Well, that's uh, that, that's something interesting that you bring up. Yeah, I think we put too much weight on this idea of our intellectual quotient, you know, this magic number that predicts what we're capable of uh, as human beings. And IQ, IQ is modifiable. And it's really not as much about our IQ as our access to our innate intelligence. And by the access is what is our software in the brain, our ability to access that inner knowledge that we have and express it. And that's actually really about our working memory capacity, you know, our ability to take in auditory and visual information, to hold and manipulate that and to extract information within ourselves to express it through communication, through writing or through some other means. So you can find that as we improve working memory capacity and that processing ability, that our access to our intelligence is much greater. So I don't see it as something that is fixed or predictive uh, of what we can do in our lives. Uh, I, I think it's been misused for a very long time. Are you worried that it seems like both IQ and our ability to use intelligence seem to be diverging if you look at the upper end and the lower end of society? Well, I think part of what we're seeing that is, you know, we may see some perceived IQ loss because we have this external drive called the internet uh, that gives us so much access to information that we need to have less of it on hand in our immediate hard drive, right? Being our brain. So if we really look at the 
uh, access to information is an extension of itself. It's really our ability to process and understand how to harness that information uh, that's most important. So I don't see a disparity happening. Uh, I don't see a you know a um, division between low IQ and high IQ in society. I see about its access to information, you know, whether it's local or external. I think I think the access is part of it, but I also think that people seem to be there's a difference in wiring. Some people are constantly focused on learning, and other people are very happy to watch Game of Thrones a hundred times. Well, I think part of that's about our environment, and what we're exposed to as well, right? I mean, if you grow up in a house full of books, you read. If you grow up in a house full of screens, you watch. You know, your environment uh, is a very big part of it. So the people that are around you or influencing you, you know, you're some of the five closest people in your life at any any given moment. So you have to look at what you're surrounded with and what becomes normal and what becomes okay. And, you know, I think that in many ways, and there is a disparity. So now that I think about your question, where we're seeing higher levels of achievement in some areas, and we're seeing a dumbing down of society in many others where people just aren't thinking. They're just responding and clicking on their screen. So there, there is a great concern there. Any ideas on what we could do or ways that we could try to level the playing field? I think as we think about how we level the playing field, we have to not demonize technology, right? Technology is our friend when it's used in the right way. Uh, All good things in moderation, uh, as they say. And I think there is a need to go back a little bit. You know, I think I have three sons. They're 22, 18, and 8. And I think about my childhood compared to their childhoods. And I, as each you know, child in the family, uh, I look at my eight-year-old, I'm trying to give them more of the experiences that I had because I think they're healthier for them. I think we need more time for play. We need more time outside than we have. Uh, I think that screen dependence and screen addiction is something that's very real and that it starts with our kids. So we have to create an environment for them that teaches them kind of good use of technology, good technology practices, how to, you know, use, use the good in it but not allow it to become a point of addiction. Just like any substance, the screens are highly addictive. So I think starting with our kids and then, you know, for ourselves, you know, it's a matter of self-control unless we've reached that addictive point, you know, with that feedback. So, you know, the same thing that we get from exercising that makes us feel great, having great sex, eating great food, doing a drug, drinking, uh, or using a screen, we're all using that same feedback loop, right, to motivate the brain to do something. So I think by controlling some screen time, having some good practices in play, we can lessen the effect of that as a drug over time. It's a little of an altruistic idea, but I think it's an important thing for us to be thinking back. And I think we're seeing a movement of people pushing back a little bit, right? Taking social media breaks, not taking the phone out to take pictures everywhere we are uh, on a vacation and, you know, just taking some time to live in the analog and be present. And if you are taking the pictures, as long as they're not selfies, that's at least a positive note. Right. As long as you're not showing your inner narcissist. I know. Right. So what, what I've found, I mean, we, we have almost a one year old now and from from six months or earlier that you see a screen and it's just like it cannot see anything else. And I think part of it is how they're designed. But I also I'm very of the of the opinion that brightness needs to be turned down. Everyone should have flux or something similar on their computers, because if you see what the, the blue light does to you, it both forces you to focus harder and creates more eye strain. But even for a little kids, it's un- 
unescapable to look at. Nothing else is remotely interesting other than food. And I think that human beings in general have the same hard wiring. So if, yes. if it works that young, then yeah, I, I so I personally have had some really nice, uh, some benefits just from turning on the brightness. It makes it much less addictive. And I don't know why. Yeah. So I want to I want to transition a little bit. So you're kind of you're kind of the brain guy. Do you feel any pressure bringing the brain guy to be smart, to be outperforming and achieving and all of that good stuff? You know, it, it's interesting. I, I was never the smartest kid in class, Matt. So, you know, what I find it's important to do is surround myself with super smart people. So, no, I don't ever feel it's about me. It's about the people that I'm surrounded with. I have to be just smart enough to find the smart people to solve the problems that are presenting us. But, you know, in terms of, you know, kind of the work and what we do, living a life that is a, a real life. I like to be pretty transparent about it. I love to exercise, uh, love to be fit. I go on and off with my exercise regime. I go through great periods of using our therapeutic music, and then I take time off. Most of the time, I practice good sleep habits. Other times, I have the screen on before I go to bed. So it's real. So in terms of a, a pressure to be that guy, not necessarily, just to be to be real and get as close to the optimal as I can, but you know, to also accept uh, we are who we are in the moment. We are all we are all human for good and for bad. What uh, what industries? What are you most excited about outside of your own work? Outside of my own work, uh, I've gotten really uh, excited about blockchain and cryptocurrencies world, and this is something that I've been pulled into and now very kind of excited about. So uh, I, I see it like when the internet was evolving uh, when I was young. We've got this whole whole new wave of uh, technology that I'm intimidated by and working to understand and very excited by at the same time. What are you most excited by? I'm I'm excited by the, if I look at the cryptocurrency aspect, the democratization of currency, right? The uh, ability for society to function without a centralized financial institutions, which I think, you know, have have had their role, um, but very negative roles uh, as of late. So I see that as a very positive movement. And also as a music publisher, our life is around content, right? Content creation and protecting that content, getting it to people, but protecting it. The idea of being able to uh, have the checks and balances uh, on the blockchain is also very exciting to me as, as a publisher. Do you think with cryptocurrency that it, so I, I'm of two minds. I'm very much interested and excited about it. But my question would be, what happens if we do have a ubiquitous or successful cryptocurrency? Government really has three purposes or three levers of strength. And that's money, the, right. the monopoly on force, essentially they hold a gun to your head and everyone else's, and public service in terms of doing good. I would argue that a lot of governments kind of fail on the third one, the US especially. So if they lose the money aspect, what becomes of government? Right. It's a good question. I don't have these answers. Uh, we were just actually, I was having a conversation. One of my health regimes is to do hot cold therapy, right? Um, Ooh, how's it going? I, I love it. Uh, I was at the gym early this morning, uh, getting my 180 degrees for 25 minutes and then going cold and jumping back in. But I was having this conversation with an economist uh, this weekend on you know, his argument, what happens if the infrastructure breaks down? There's no means of communication between these peer-to-peer -peer networks. What happens to the blockchain then? Oh, yeah, the same problem with government and currency today. It's not a big difference. Same with fiat, right? So yeah. ultimately, we're bartering with goats and water. Oh, that'll work, although you're not going to get very far with water unless you're living in the desert. 
it uh, it is interesting to see how these type of evolutions play out. I'm I'm very excited about blockchain. I'm a bit idealistic about it. Unfortunately, I think it'll probably get co-opted by government. So governments will create their own cryptocurrencies, so to speak. I oh, I think will happen. That'll happen. And our new company, we're doing a security token offering, and that's we're going to regulation in in this case um, through the the token exchange. So uh, I I think that that's uh, inevitable. So I think the idealistic vision for it isn't going to be fully realized uh, because of government. But I think what's important is that the attempts are being made. Agreed. And what I've seen is the accredited investor definitions are getting changed, which is something that's very important. So for people that are listening but not familiar, prior to this year in the U.S., you had to have a million dollars in net worth or $200,000 per year in annual income for each of the past two years to be able to invest in essentially the best opportunities in the world, the ones that have the opportunity to go 100, 1,000 X. And most likely you're going to lose your money. So don't bet your, all of your money on anything because Matt told you so. But if you look at the people that are making fortunes, it's investing or starting companies. And essentially the vast majority of at least the US was locked out of these opportunities. Crowdfunding made it better. Uh, right. equity, equity crowdfunding made it even better. But even then, oftentimes it was the shit of the shit companies that were raising on those. Right. But by changing the accredited investor definition, now more people are going to be able to invest because they're qualified. They understand what they're doing. If that stuff's interesting for you guys, the syndicate.bci run a podcast on angel investing and run an invest syndicate there. So check that out. But uh, yeah, I think I think that will be interesting to see how these changes play out. Because in my opinion, governments are failing. Corporations don't do much because they have to focus on short-term quarterly gains. And right. startups are where the innovation happens. Absolutely. It's a, it's, a, it's a very interesting world that we're headed into. What's next when it comes to neurotech and brain-machine interfaces? Well, um, you know, I can only speak to what we're doing. And I still think that we're at a very nascent stage that a lot of what's happening is still fairly rudimentary in terms of the technology that continues to improve. You know, if I look at what we have now, we have a clinical grade, close to clinical grade EEG system sitting inside of a headset. And that's something I couldn't fathom happening 25 years ago, but we're, we're here today. So I think the you know advent of nanotechnologies, the improvement of sensor technology, faster compute power uh, is really what's most important for us. So the, the faster the compute power that we can get, the more power that we have for these neurotechnologies, especially for real-time monitoring and training. So for us, as we look at kind of that product roadmap, it's going from addressing things like stress and focus and sleep in the moment to continuous monitoring uh, alerts, which we're beginning to see, you know, um, you know, changes in heart rate that are questionable, um, flagging your physician or flagging you to take action in the moment. Uh, I think we're going to see these technologies contributing to longevity, higher quality of life, lower health costs uh, for individuals. Overall, you know, better quality life, as I as I said, in terms of the crystal ball of what it's going to look like in the future, I won't fathom to guess. I can just look at our roadmap and knowing where our attention is going. So you know the importance of music, of senses. Have you ever done any uh, sensory deprivation experiences, float tanks, etc.? I've got a float tank place I drive by between my home and office every day. And I've got colleagues with them in their clinics. I've not done it yet. I've heard some incredible stuff. I would love to try it out. Are you doing anything for performance enhancing in general for yourself? For me, it's uh, it's weightlifting and it's doing the thermogenic stress. So um, it's doing the heat and the cold alternating so that I can lower inflammation and increase BDNF. Um, so that's really my, my go-to right now. 
BDNF for people not familiar, brain derived neurotropic factor. It basically helps your brain grow and restore itself. In and Thank out. you. What other what other areas of brain science are you interested in? Well, for me, it's always been a focus around auditory brain science, right? The impact of sound and music on neurological function, and that is really where the emphasis is. With my colleague Dr. Falpor uh, in our company Vital Neuro, along with our partners, that's really expanding because we're you know moving now into the uh, brain computer interface space and all that that's about. So it's really uh, for us about this real-time monitoring, you know, to see what the current state is of an individual and developing technologies through sound, music, haptic feedback, uh, visual feedback to optimize performance. So I see that occupying our time. time. What is flow and what are the different states that people can be in? Can you talk a little bit more about each of those? Um, I couldn't speak to the different states of flow, but if we think of of a flow state that is as I think about it for myself that is where whatever I'm doing feels effortless because I've set myself up for a state of being fully present and performing at an optimal uh, level because of that level of presence and I see that in order to achieve it we need to have good sleep we have to have good stress regulation our metabolic function needs to be optimal and that when we have these things in place in the right environment to support it, we can get in that flow state where things are somewhat effortless in order to achieve them. And how can people use music to enter flow? Use music to enter flow. So, right, simply said, if we think about a a flow state, it's about using music that, first of all, Matt, meets you where you are, right? Not a sudden shift, but something that you know, is kind of at your frequency or your tempo in the in the moment and that you can entrain and guide to that state that you want to get into. Getting immersed in the music, I think, is very important and headphones are going to be best for that. So in order to get a really high quality headphone uh, that covers the ears, a circumaural headphone and playing music at kind of the optimal volume level for yourself, uh, I find when I write that if I listen to the right sound and generally it's, it's instrumental, but actually some of the alternative rock music that I like. Uh, When I put in those headphones, everything else shuts out and I'm dialed in and can get the job done. Absolutely. That and a little bit of coffee and you're ready to rock. Cheers. What areas are you going to to learn the most? What publications, podcasts, et cetera, do you look to daily, weekly basis to stay informed and up to date? So Tim Ferriss is actually a big go-to for me for performance. So that's uh, kind of a number one resource through uh, his books, through his podcast and his weekly uh, newsletters that he uh, sends out. Also uh, a big fan of Jocko Willenick and uh, his his readings and, and work. So for me, in terms of the performance area, That's where I'm looking. And uh, candidly, I use Google Alerts on about 50 different terms that come in daily so that I can go to any publication that I I want. It's like my librarian. This is what I want. Google Alerts sends me uh, the current updates. Then I read the publications that I find most credible for me. Most credible. God, it's gotten so hard these days. There's a lot of crap. There's a lot of, how do you filter it? By reading the content, right? You have to either, you know, the publication, right? So you're familiar with the publication. So you trust the publication. And then I look at the advertisers that are surrounding that publication uh, as well. And I'll look, I'll look at their social presence to see kind of what kind of community that they've created. And that begins to give me some good feedback. Interesting. That's uh that's good feedback. I don't think enough people have a, a well thought out strategy for that. And it's becoming more and more important these days. Well, 
well, it is because uh, there's real news and fake news, right? There's real news and fake news and there's persuasion and there's manipulation. How do you think about both of those going forward? It seems like it's getting much easier to persuade and manipulate. You're using those as if they're different from one another. Persuasion can be positive. I don't think manipulation can be positive. No, I I, I, I agree. Uh, you know, I think our media is both persuasive and very manipulative. We are seeing from the persuasion standpoint, I am seeing a lot of good out there. I don't know about you, but I'm seeing a movement toward wellness, toward well-being, toward performance. A lot of individuals trying to put out good, useful content. Uh, and there's a very, very big push for that. Uh, on the manipulation side, you know, all we have to do is look at the uh, the advertising engines that are trying to uh, guide our buying decisions. And sometimes they're persuasive in that we're being directed to things that might be useful in our life, right? Is that AI gets smarter, it gets more data and more informed. I am seeing, at least for myself, that the advertisements that are coming to me are more persuasive, Matt, and less manipulative, right? They're more kind of on point for my areas of interest. So I see some positives actually happening in that area. So it's less of a scattershot approach and things are a little more dialed in and personalized. But even if it is more dialed in and personalized, that just means you're going to buy more stuff. We talked about it before and it was getting people to understand understand the importance of music when it comes to manipulation. But even if they understand it, if they can't avoid it, is there a is there a roundabout? Is there a caveat? Is there a way that ends nicely? I, I think we have to be responsible human beings and make good choices, right? So, you know, we we have to think a little bit for ourselves and, you know, be self-responsible. Even your eight-year-old? My eight-year-old? My eight-year-old's very conscious and makes um, sound choices and very poor choices sometimes. And as he gets more informed over time, he'll get better at it. But he's actually not Maddox. He is not exposed to anything currently uh, that would be the form of a commercial in terms of how he accesses media. So in terms of our screens, He's not being manipulated by messages coming to him. How do you think about social media for the kids? I am strongly against social media access for children. I think social media is absolutely a plague. If you're going to use Facebook, you've got to have that newsfeed eradicator on that. Use it for messages to message people. Then it's incredibly valuable, even though Facebook is snooping on all of that shit. But you want to get rid of the entire core product because the core product is garbage. You know, I see a lot of good in social media. You know, uh, a lot of the opportunities uh, in our in our work in our business. Uh, are because of social media, contacts and introductions. But I think it's uh, abused, overused, and no place for our kids. Amen, amen, and amen. I think all of those are all of those are very insightful points. Is there something that you would want to talk about or bring up now? Any topics uh, that you would like to jump into? No, I think we've uh, covered a lot a lot of ground, and this has been fun because I didn't know what we talked about today, Matt. So this is great. I'm glad you've enjoyed it. Now I need one last thing from you. I need two last things from you. One is an incredibly bold prediction that we haven't talked about yet for the next 20 to 50 years. An incredibly bold prediction is in 20 to 50 years uh, that we are going to be able to successfully eradicate dementia. I think so. We just get people to stop eating processed carbs and that would be a big plus. And number number two, yeah. what is one thing that you would want to leave people with? A quote, a call to action, it can be anything. To be present in the now, in the moment, to not get 
stuck in the mistakes of our past or the promise of the future. I think that's very wise and well said. It sounds like something the Buddha or Dalai Lama would say. So that's perfect to leave people with. You can be a little combination of both of those two round little fun guys. What is the, where's the best place for people to find you, Alex, and learn more about what you do? My blog, alexdoman.com, and then my company blogs, or websites, excuse me, advancedbrain.com and vitalneuro.com. And we will throw links and all that good stuff in the show notes, guys. Make sure you check it out at fringe.fm. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, what are you doing? Make sure you hit the subscribe button. If you're watching this on YouTube, same deal. And until next time, guys, go kick some ass, listen to some awesome music, especially the Beethoven. I uh, personally, well, what's your favorite song? That's our last wrap up. What's your favorite song? Um, I I can't tell you my favorite song. My musical tastes are so diverse. Uh, It's the favorite album of the moment. And uh, right now it's a perfect circles, eat the elephant album. That is quite a, that is quite a name for me. Ode to joy. Nothing beats it. If you're in a bad mood, if you're in a sad mood, it doesn't matter. You're suddenly like up and excited. This has been fun, Alex. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, man. Awesome. Cheers. If you want more of Fringe FM, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or go to fringe.fm where you'll find tons of audio and video interviews with leaders in the fields of genetics, cryptocurrency, longevity, AI, space, VR, and much, much more. And you can follow me on Twitter at It's Matt Ward. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a quick review in iTunes to help more people discover Fringe FM.